You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 25 in your Bibles, and I this, this chapter, for some reason, has taken me uh, several weeks. I'm hoping to get through it tonight, but I want you to look at verse number 18. Uh, judgment is coming for God's people. Uh, they now have, they know that they're going into captivity. They know that judgment's coming. And how many years was that captivity going to last? Somebody help me out. 70 years captivity. And that was not an accident. God didn't draw a number out of a hat. That was because for 490 years, they had neglected to give the land the rest that God commanded them every, uh, so six years they could, could uh, sow and plant and work the field. And then the seventh year they were supposed to let it rest. Uh, but they thought they knew better than God. And uh, they found out they did not know better than God. Isn't that amazing how God knows best? You know why? Because he's God and he knows everything. And he created you and he created me. And uh, he is sovereign. He's in control. But we talked about the 70 years captivity. Then we got to verse number 13. And I reminded, I tried to remind us last week that all of God's word is important. Not just the parts that you like, not just the parts that I like, but all of God's word is important. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God gave you and God gave me his word for a reason. And then we talked about last week, we talked about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And we talked about how that the nations and kings were judged according to their works. And we discussed that in uh, some length last week. But I want you to look at verse number 18 and we'll pick up here. It says to wit, Jeremiah 25, 18, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the kings thereof and the princes thereof to make them a desolation, an astonishment, and hissing and a curse as it is this day. Jeremiah begins to uh, reveal the judgment upon the nations, and he starts with God's people. And I want to remind us tonight, we'll have prayer, we'll get into the message, but I want to remind us that God's judgment begins with God's people. Yes, God will judge the heathen. Yes, God will judge the wicked. But we know better, and we have been given so much, and we have uh, been given the Word of God, and we have been given preachers and teachers and Christians and, and, and testimonies and, and witnesses, and we've been given examples of people that followed God and God blessed them, and people that forsook God and God judged them. And the judgment here begins with God's people. Lord, help us as we look at your word. I pray that you'd help us not to miss what you have for us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Judgment begins with Jerusalem. It begins with Judah. It begins with their kings and their princes. Notice in verse 18, they would be a desolation. What that means is the city that was, the city that was packed, the city that was flourishing, the city that was inhabited would one day be a war zone. That city of Jerusalem would one day, it would be in a, a, a shambles. 
It would be destroyed. It would be burned to the ground. The walls would be knocked in. The temple would be looted and ransacked. And that city one day would be a desolation. I can't imagine what that was like for the people of Judah to hear that. They'd say, no way. That's not possible. This could not happen to Jerusalem. We are God's chosen people. We are the apple of God's eye. There's no way that that could ever happen. But it did because God had warned them and warned them and warned them and they would not repent. They would become an astonishment. That word astonishment means a waste or literally they would be a horror. Uh, they would be a horror story. When people would talk about Jerusalem, you would think, oh my, I can't believe how those people, I can't believe how they, uh, they, they, they pushed God to the limit and they, 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 they uh, 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 tested God and they, they thought they could get away with it and what a shame and what a horror and then a hissing that word hissing there it means a laughing stock the nation of, of Judah the, the people of God they became a laughing stock people would mock and people would ridicule because of how they were judged and I want to remind us tonight that God's word tells us that God is able to exalt, but God is also able to abase. And you know who God has to abase? Those that walk in pride. Those of us that think we don't need God. Those that think we don't have to listen. Those of us that think the preaching is for the next guy. Or those of us that think uh, we've got it covered. God judges sin. God hates pride. And God brought them low because of their pride. I want you to notice, not only did God judge his people, but it says in verse number 19, God judged Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his servants, and his princes, and all his people, and all the mingled people, and all the kings of the land of Uz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, and Ashkelon, and Azah, and Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod. Here we have a list of all these countries, and I want to remind you that most of us in this room, we are, uh, we're, we're pretty good maybe at focusing on one thing or focusing on one area or focusing on one situation. But can I remind you, God's not limited to focusing on one thing. God can deal with all the nations all the kings, all the princes, all the servants, all the people in every place at the same time. That's how God is. He's all-knowing. He is omniscient. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, pastor, you might be, you know, focused on one thing, but mothers and wives. Now, now you want to talk about multitasking. Mothers can multitask. And uh, some of us men, we're doing, we're doing good if we can do one thing good, but mothers, uh, they can do a lot. And, but can I tell you, there reaches a point where you run out of hands. There reaches a point where you run out of, uh, of, 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 of mental capacity to remember what you told this and what you did here and what you did here. And we all, we have human limitations, but God is not limited. I was, uh, this was a couple years ago, uh, someone was asking me, they said, uh, what's the difference from uh, working in a Christian college to being a pastor? And I didn't have to think very long about it because I had already, I think probably when I first came to pastor, I already realized the big difference. 
When my wife and I were at the college, we had, I say, probably five or six areas that we were responsible for. And for most of that time, we did not have children. And so basically, Joanna did all the work and I just, you know, took the credit for what she did. Um, but we had, a, we had those five or six areas that we were responsible for and, and we were busy. Um, and you could ask her afterwards, we were, we were busy. We loved it. It was ministry. It was, uh, it was not just eight to five. I'll guarantee you that. It was work and it was time, but it was a privilege. We loved it. But there was just a few areas. When I became the pastor, all of a sudden I was amazed at how much I enjoyed before saying, I don't know, that's not my area. You'll have to talk to the pastor. And you know, that was kind of fun before I was the pastor, but now it's like, oh, wait a minute. The buck stops here. You say, well, pastor, are you saying you're responsible for everything here? Well, I like to blame it on the staff, you know? I like to say, well, it was their fault, but ultimately I'm responsible. And there's a lot, whoever said amen there, please don't come and tell me about the problem that you've been waiting to tell me about. Um, but, but I am, I'm responsible, I'm the shepherd. And there's a lot of different areas. And I'll tell you, there's times where you're thinking, uh, how, can, how can we keep up? Maybe it's like that at your job. Maybe it's like that at, 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 at the house or maybe whatever. And you say, how can we keep up? Well, number one, we need the Lord. We can't do anything without him. But while we are limited and while we face limitations, God is not limited. We're, we're focused right now, at least I think, I, I think we are. We're focused on our country. We're focusing on, focused on what's going on. And we're focused on these elections. And we're focused on the United States of America. And we're praying for God to do a great work. But I want to tell you, God's not only focused on the United States of America. He's focused on the nations of the world. He's focused on the, the, the villages where, uh, where, where, where missionaries have not even been. God's focused on the, the cities and God's focused on the countries that you've never even heard of. God is aware of all of those. And here, God reminds his people that he was going to judge the nations. He was going to judge Egypt. I think it's interesting here. God says he's going to judge the Philistines. That probably helped the children of Israel feel a little better after their interaction with the Philistines during the, uh, the times of, of, of Samuel and the times of David and the different battles that they faced with the Philistines. Then we get to verse 21. God says, I'm going to judge Edom. I'm going to judge Moab and the children of Ammon. Verse 22, and all the kings of Tyrus and all the kings of Zidon and the kings of the isles or the islands which are beyond the sea. God said, those places that are out there in the ocean that you've never seen, you've never heard of, you don't even know what they're called. God says, I'm dealing with those places as well. Then we get to verse number 23. Dedan and Tema and Buzz and all that are in the utmost corners. Now that's interesting because God here is talking about places where his judgment was going to reach. God's judgment was not just going to stay in Judah. God's judgment was going to reach the utmost corners, the furthest reaches of the planet. Now think about this. Remember what God told his people in Acts 1? He said, there's something else that's supposed to go 
to the utmost corners. There's something else that's supposed to go to the far-reaching uh, spots on the planet, and that is the gospel. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Can I tell you, this is a reminder that God is concerned about not just us and not just here, but God is concerned with the whole world. Judgments go into the utmost corners, so the gospel must go there as well. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have soul wedding. That's why we have children's ministries and teens ministries and, and, a, and an online ministry and a radio ministry because the gospel needs to go everywhere. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our responsibility. Verse 24, judgment would go to the kings of Arabia and the uh, kings of the mingled people that dwell in the desert and all the kings of Zimri and all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of the Medes. That's interesting. Because some of those kings would come to power after the Babylonians. From the, the Medes, you will have the, the Medial Persian Empire, and King Cyrus, and God would use Cyrus, but God said, I'm going to judge these kings and judge these nations. Verse number 26, and all the kings of the north far and near, one with another, and all the kingdoms of the world, which are upon the face of the earth, and the king of Shishak. Uh, most Bible scholars believe that was a reference to Babylon. And God says, I'm using Babylon now for this captivity, but I will judge Babylon for their sin as well. And God did. Verse number 27, Therefore thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink ye, and be drunken, and spew, and, and fall, and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. Verse 28, it shall be if they refuse to take the cup at thine hand to drink. Then shalt thou say unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, ye shall certainly drink. Here's the analogy. When judgment comes, when God declares judgment on a people, when God declares judgment on an individual, there's nothing that you nor I can do to resist it. I, I think about this. It says, you know, they try to refuse to drink. Remember, we talked about last week the cup, which uh, signifies the wrath of the judgment of God that's poured out. When you have a child, and that child refuses to take the medicine. Oh my, we've had some... We've had some interesting times with that. Usually it's in the middle of the night and they don't want to take that cough medicine or whatever that medicine is. And uh, I think there's been a few times it's gotten spewed out on us while we're trying to do it in the middle of the night. And, and, and you can resist taking medicine. You can resist having uh, maybe something that you drink or something that you partake of. But when the judgment of God comes, there's no resistance. Uh, there is no arguing, there is no fighting. That judgment will be exacted and that judgment will be executed. God is, is pouring out His judgment. We see in these verses, verse 15, verse 17, verse 19, verse 20, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, that God was going to judge all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, God's judgment is a judgment that reaches to the entire world. 
God is God over all the nations. But I'm glad that God is also working in all the nations. I, I hope you will at times, and by the way, with your cell phone, or if you want us to run copies, we'll do it for you. But I hope sometime you'll come early for church or stay after church and come during the week. And I hope you'll read some of these missionary letters that we have on the wall. You know what's amazing when you read these missionary letters and you hear about people getting saved and you hear about churches being started and you hear about the gospel being uh, distributed and the Bible being put in languages that did not have it before? I'm telling you, God is working in the nations and the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Verse 29, For lo, I begin to bring evil on the city which is called by my name, and should ye be utterly unpunished? Ye shall not be unpunished, God says, for I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Nobody is getting away with anything. Uh, I know I tease a lot how that in a home, uh, sometimes, sometimes certain children get away with a lot. And uh, I got to be careful what I say tonight because my brother is here and I sometimes I've, I've used illustrations about him when he's not here and I hope he doesn't listen online later. Um, but I'm the oldest of seven and Jared's the youngest of seven. And it's amazing, in my opinion, and I may be way off base, but in my opinion, I think things were a little, a little stricter and a little tighter when I was in the home than they were when Jared was in the home. Again, I may be wrong. But you know what's amazing with God is nobody gets away with anything. God sees, God knows, and God promises that he will judge sin. So, well, pastor, what am I going to do? I've sinned. Well, me too. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What do we do? We confess it. We get it right with God. God is merciful. God promised he would forgive us. Uh, God promised that if we would confess our sin, that he'd be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful that we can experience the mercy and the grace of God, but not if we hide our sin, not if we cover our sin, not if we justify our sin, not if we continue in our sin. All we're doing then is we are opening the door and saying, God, I don't think you're going to do anything about this. And all you're doing, and all we're doing is setting ourselves up for the judgment of God. Nobody's getting away with anything. Notice verse number 30. Therefore, prophesy thou against them all these words and say unto them, the Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth. The Bible tells us that God speaks in many different ways. And by the way, I'm glad God speaks. But here's the amazing thing, is sometimes God will speak to us and it will be a still, small voice. And you've got to listen. And I've got to listen. And we've got to make sure that we are attentive so that we can hear the voice of God. Because how many of you know there's a lot of noise in this world? There's a lot of stuff going on in this world. And don't let all the stuff 
distract you from hearing from God, from hearing from the Word of God and hearing from the preaching and hearing from the Holy Spirit who speaks to you and who prompts you and who convicts you. Don't, don't let the world uh, crowd out the voice of God that's speaking. Sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice. But sometimes God's voice, when it's neglected, when it's tuned out, when it's not heated, sometimes God will raise his voice. And in this case, God says, I'm going to let my voice come through like a roar, like a mighty roar, like a loud shout. And that noise, he said, it's going to be so loud that everybody is going to hear it. I tell you, when God speaks, I hope we listen. When God speaks, I hope we get real quiet and say, Lord, I'm listening. Please speak to me. Uh, please show me, please direct me. God's voice, I'm glad God speaks. In this case, they hadn't listened for so long that God had to raise his voice. and God had to declare judgment. Verse 31, it says in the middle of the verse, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. That word controversy there, it means a dispute, it means a quarrel. It has the idea of a case like in a court of law. Now, I don't know about you, but, and, and our, our lawyers are, they're out uh, of here, so they would probably be the exceptions, but I am not a big fan of being in court. I mean, to me, that idea just does not excite me. Like, I'm going to, uh, to court for something, you know, I just, uh, to me, that's not exciting. Kind of like going to the dentist office, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things that you just, I just had to throw that in there for uh, Melissa, but... I'm not excited about going to court. But can you imagine going into court and knowing that there's a case against you and it's been brought by God Almighty? I got news for you. You aren't winning that case. You're not going to outsmart God, you're not going to outwit God. You're not going to come up with a loophole. You're not, going to, you're not going to throw it back on him. It's going to be your fault. It's going to be my fault. God will be right and we will be wrong every time if there's a controversy, if there's a case against us. Notice what he says in verse 31. The Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. That word plead, it doesn't mean like God's going to offer his plea it means God is going to judge. God is going to govern. God is going to set the record straight. I think I said it a couple weeks ago, but I'll say it again. If you're in this room and you've got a problem with everybody else, the problem is probably not everybody else. The problem is most likely you. The problem is most likely me. But I'll say this. If you've got a problem with God, if you've got a problem with his word, I'll tell you the problem's not with God. The problem's with you. The problem is with me. The people had a controversy. There was a dispute with God and God said, I will set the record straight. I will issue the judgment. Notice verse number 32 and 33. God says that there would be a, a whirlwind uh, verse number 32, a great whirlwind shall be raised up from the coast. Verse 33, the slain, those that were killed because of the judgment from that day, from one end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth, they shall not be lamented. 
neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Uh, how awful, how sad, how tragic to think that those who fall at the judgment of God, there's not even people to care for the body. There's not even somebody that can give them a proper burial. Uh, and I'll say this, it is always a tragedy when a life is ruined and destroyed because of sin and because of wickedness and a life falls under the judgment of God. We always will look at that and say it didn't have to be that way. It should not have been that way if only we would have returned to God. Notice verse number 34 and 35. Howl, ye shepherds, and cry, and wallow yourselves in the ashes. Ye principal of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and your dispersions are accomplished, and ye shall fall like a pleasant vessel. That word pleasant vessel would be a, a valuable, a, a very uh, expensive vessel. And when a, an expensive vessel, maybe a piece of china or maybe... Uh, some fine glass piece, when, when you drop that and it shatters, that's a, that's a very hopeless feeling. It's a very helpless feeling when there are dozens of pieces and dozens of pieces and that thing ain't going back together again. God says that's how His people were. They, they were shattered, they were broken, and there was no hope. Humanly speaking, in our lives, there is no hope. Uh, because of sin, because of judgment, because of the consequences, because of the law of God, there is no hope. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is a pretty bold, pretty solid statement there. There's no hope for us, humanly speaking. But aren't you glad that God's still in the equation? And aren't you glad that with God there's always hope? And you say, but what about a shattered vessel? What about a vessel that's broken in pieces and, and, and there's no way to put it back together? God specializes in picking up the broken pieces and God specializes in putting things together. And you don't believe that. Look at Judah. They went into Babylonian captivity, but guess what? They came out of captivity. God used them again. God blessed them, God restored them, and God was not done with them. Hallelujah for the grace of God. He can make it again, and there's hope as long as God's in the equation. Verses 36 and 37, there was a voice of the cry of the shepherds and howling of the flock, for the Lord hath spoiled their pasture. There was a cry for help. Nobody could help because they had rejected God. Verse 37, we see the fierce anger of the Lord. But then I want you to notice verse number 38. This is an interesting uh, illustration here. It says, He, that is God, hath forsaken his covert as the lion. For their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Here's what this verse is saying, here's what this verse is indicating, is that God, like a, a lion, would protect its den. Like a lion would protect its young. That is what God had been to his people. And by the way, I'm glad that God protects us. Aren't you glad for that? And there are, I'm sure there are many, many days 
where we don't even realize how much God protects us from things that we never even know about, but God protects us. But here's what happens. That, that lion protects its, its cave or protects its den. That lion protects its young. But if that lion walks off, that den with those babies, that den with those cubs is defenseless. Those little cubs don't stand a chance. Those little lions, they don't have a chance against the other predators that would be out there to try to kill and to devour. Those babies, their only hope is in that lion protecting them. But here's what it says, that God hath forsaken his covert as the lion, for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. You say, well, pastor, I thought God did not forsake us. I thought the verse says that God would never leave us nor forsake us. And you're absolutely right. But here's what happened. God's not the one that forsook his people. They're the ones that forsook him. And can I tell you, when God removes his protection, we're in trouble. You see, we've got, we've got more enemies than the ones we can see. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a battle against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. We're in a battle against spiritual wickedness in high places. We've got an adversary, the devil, who is out seeking whom he may devour. And if God removes his protection like he did in 1 Samuel 4. Remember that story? The children of Israel went to battle against the Philistines and they took the Ark of the Covenant and they thought, oh God, he certainly got to bless us even though they had forsaken God. And God removed his hand. When they got back and they told the priest, Eli, the Bible tells us that he fell backwards and he broke his neck when he heard the news that his sons were killed and that the ark of God had been taken. And Eli's daughter-in-law was giving birth to a baby and when she heard the news, she named that child Ichabod, which means the glory is departed. She said, we're in trouble because God has removed his presence from us. That's a scary place to be. That's not a place where I ever want to be. That's not a place where I ever want our church to be. That's not a place where I ever want my family to be. You say, well, how do we keep that from happening? By staying right with God. By obeying Him. By spending time with Him. By confessing our sin. By getting things right. By following Him and not forsaking him, the children of Israel experienced the Babylonian invasion and they experienced the Babylonian captivity, captivity, and that was all a result of God removing his hand. We must pray that that would never be said of Victory Baptist Church. You say, oh, that could never happen here. It's happened a lot of other places. And I would, I would say this, I love our church. I think our church is the best church in all the world. But it's happened to churches 
who had people like we have, who were faithful, served God for years. But then over time, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Ah, we can live how we want. Oh, I've heard that message before. Oh, I don't need to pray. Oh, I don't need to serve God. Oh, I don't need to give. I don't need to be, oh, no, you know, that's, that's for somebody else. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It could happen to us. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.